If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Now, I know uh, more often than not, we're in this section during the Christmas season and reading the Christmas story, but we're going to be looking at the back half of Luke, chapter 2, verses 39 through 52 this morning to examine a story about Jesus' life that I believe is really, really, really important. So go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 39. This is the word of the Lord. It says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then began to search for him among their relative and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us as so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he had spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So this morning, we are going to be looking at growth, not only Jesus's growth, but our own growth in our faith. I want to do this in three parts for us. I want to have a word to parents first, a word to children, and a word to everyone that is in this room. So parents, I want you to understand that growth comes through discipleship. You as a parent within your home are charged with discipling the home. Fathers, more specifically in this room, you are the spiritual leader of this home, and you are charged with discipling your family. But parents, growth comes through discipleship. Look back at verse 39. It says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now, Mary and Joseph, they were really noble people, and we see that all throughout Scripture. But we can't forget that they, like us, were imperfect people. They were sinners in need of a Savior. And many of the struggles they faced, we faced. Take a second and think about where they're from, Nazareth. It really didn't have the greatest reputation. It was seen as this backwater, uh, uncultured uh, group of people that were highly immoral. It doesn't sound like a a great place to to raise a child and and disciple them. Many of you might be thinking, well, that's kind of where we live at today, right? We live in a world where our kids are bombarded with worldly influences, and we can only do so much to protect them from extremely wicked things at a young age. I think the exposure to pornography is getting younger and younger and younger. I think the most common age is about five years old now. You can only protect your children for so long, so we must disciple them and teach them what is true. But like Mary and Joseph, we cannot underestimate the power of the word being in front of our kids on a daily basis and plunging them into the body of Christ, much like we're doing here. Parents, this is a a beautiful opportunity to model for them 
what it looks like to worship and engage in the service. It's a beautiful thing. And this piece of scripture is what we have about Jesus' life between his birth and baptism. So it's going to have some, some huge implications and should be significant for the people of God to understand. And based upon this, we can assume some things about Jesus' life growing up based on what the scripture tells us and based upon some, some cultural norms of the day. Jesus would have learned the things of God first from his family, first from his family, and secondly from the local rabbinical school. Verse 52 leads us to believe that he was known, loved, and loved in his community. Jesus would have participated in the weekly Sabbath and worship at the synagogue with his family. These two things, the Sabbath and worship at the local synagogue, are non-negotiable in Jesus' life. You'd have never caught Joseph allowing his, his children to dictate whether they would come to church or not. This wasn't an option. You are to be with the body and worship in the synagogue. Scripture would have been written on the doorpost of his home. So he would have seen it coming and seen it going. He would have learned his Bible by heart, both in Hebrew and in Greek. He would have been familiar with all of the Old Testament and all of the promises God gave he would have known the Psalms by heart as they would sing them frequently. Many times on this journey to Jerusalem for Passover, they would sing Psalms together. And it reminds me of last week when I talked about the powerful tool of song to disciple your children. Sing Psalms in your home, church. At the age of 13, a Jewish boy would be responsible for his own actions by law. He would be known or become a bar mitzvah, a son of the commandment. There would be a ceremony that would mark this transition in his life and was much of the reason more than likely why Jesus was journeying with his parents to Jerusalem for Passover at the age of 12 because they would take them there, show them the synagogue, and show them around Jerusalem to prepare them for the next year and the transition of their life. So it is plain to see through all of these things, that Mary and Joseph were diligent in discipling their children in a daily framework. Now, the Bible's treatment of Mary and Joseph is glowing because you don't really see anything bad about them. All we really know of Mary and Joseph is good things. And I think this is strategic on God's part. I mean, these are Jesus's parents. <laughs> you don't know anything bad about them. But more often than not, in other characters of Scripture, we see their flaws. We see glaring, sinful acts in their heart that they commit, whether it be adultery, lust, greed, gluttony, you fill in the blank. We see it from the characters in the Bible. But with Mary and Joseph, what we see is a smudge on their, uh, on their lives. Because in the Passover, they accidentally left Jesus behind. Whoops. Who in here has ever left their kids somewhere and not realized it? Don't answer that. I'm going to go ahead and jump in. Don't answer that. Uh, I need plausible deniability, so I don't want to know, okay? <laughs> Trips to Jerusalem, though, we would need to understand they were a massive amount of people. It was a caravan of people. You had your aunties, your uncles, your cousins, your friends, your neighbors. Even your cousin Pookie would come. It'd be a whole shindig. Everybody would go. But the women and children walked in the front. And the men and the older boys walked in the back. So what we could picture, I guess, happened here is with Jesus being on the threshold of boyhood and manhood, Mary thought Jesus was in the back with Joseph, and Joseph thought Jesus was in the front with Mary. 
so they had a, a high level of miscommunication there. Uh, but they came to a place where they began to search for Jesus and realized that he was lost. They spent three days looking for him to find him in the temple. Parents, please let this be an encouragement to you this morning. Your discipleship is not going to be perfect, nor does it have to be. God is not looking for you to perfectly disciple in your home. He's just looking for you to faithfully do it, to faithfully disciple your children. Loving our kids well doesn't mean that we have to be perfect people, but it does mean that we help them grow in their love and obedience to God through his word. Through a daily and habitual discipleship, it ensures that they are part of the life and rhythms of the body of Christ. So parents, this is your stakeholder. So children, I need you to listen to me for a moment. If you can. Hey! She's listening. She's with me. You're tracking, Graceland. I like it. <laughs> Growth comes through loving God with your mind. Engage your mind. We have to be able to start small and build on the knowledge of our children with God. Parents, you'll have a peace through all of this. But we have to start small. My own two-year-old daughter, I'm not going to teach her about the depths of the sovereignty of God. But I will teach her that this is God's word. She knows that this is daddy's Bible. She knows what mommy's Bible looks like. She knows who the Bible is about. It took us all day to get the question right of who is Christmas about. More often than not, she would say, Florence, because she's got all these like presents and different things like that. I'm just telling a story, baby. You're good. But at the end of the day, she finally said, Jesus, with all of excitement, knowing that the entirety of the day, the joy that she had, was rooted in Jesus. These small but large fundamental truths are important to entrench into our kids. We have to take their cognitive ability into our actions and into our thoughts. We see this in Jesus' life. In verse 40, it says, And the children grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. You see, the building blocks of faith were laid in Jesus' life, allowed for his mind and his understanding of God to grow. This didn't come through a moment. This came through little steps of obedience that made for a large step for him to sit in the synagogue as a 12-year-old and have these theologically deep conversations with men who were decades older than him. Many times at the church during the week, we all office at the Smyrna campus, somebody will bust in your office and lay out this, this ultra-deep theological question that I, I'm often like, ah, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about here. Let's kind of wade through this together. We'll all come together. We'll, we'll kind of put our minds and figure these things out. So I would be astonished if a 12-year-old walked into the office and began to rattle off all of these answers to our question. But it happened. And you could be sitting here saying, well, CJ, come on. This is Jesus. <laughs> He's God. He knows everything. This is why he could sit and keep up with the scholars in the temple. But this is not how we should think about this moment in Jesus' life. Jesus wasn't God sometimes and man other times. He was both all the time. We see in the scripture, God tells us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, God doesn't just judge off of action. He doesn't just want your heart in you to move. He wants your mind 
He wants thoughts. He wants knowledge. He wants it all. So we have to ask ourselves, do the thoughts that enter into our mind, the things we think about on a daily basis, honor the Lord all the time? I can answer that for everybody, myself included. No, it doesn't. Because we're sinful people. So we often waste time on things that don't matter. We often let sinful things creep into our mind that draw us away from loving and looking and beholding the majesties of God. Because of this, we are unable to reach the depths at which Jesus did at his young age. But teenagers and kids in here, I want to encourage you for a moment. You're never too young to think great things about God. You're never too young to dive deep into the word of God. But there's a hinge point here. You have to want it. You have to want it. So I need you to break free from the slavery to social media, the slavery and addiction to your video games and hobbies and all those other things. I want you to go home and open your Bible. I want you to read the word of God. I want you to pray and ask God for wisdom to understand what he's trying to communicate in the scriptures. This is when we begin to understand the things of God. And this is when we can behold the power of what Jesus walked in. And when you do this, one day you're going to look back and be thankful that you rebelled against the toxic cultural norms of our day and chose to live a life of impact, happiness, and fulfillment only found in God's word. But there is a huge point for all of us here, a huge point for all of us in here this morning. Growth takes time. This doesn't happen overnight. The passage says that Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature and in favor with God and man. Hebrews 5.8 tells us that Jesus learned obedience. He learned obedience. So just like us, Jesus had to grow in the understanding of God's word and how it would impact his life. He didn't just sleep on it one night and get it. He didn't just read the Bible once and get it. The reason that Jesus was able to step into that synagogue and have those conversations with all of those rabbis is because the word of God hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly worked into his life as it was set before him. God's word was woven into all of who Jesus was day by day, moment by moment, as he was captivated with the word of God. Parents, your child's growth in the faith is going to take time. So be patient. Be patient. This isn't a, a line that constantly trends up. It's a line that has dips, has curves, has drops and increases and lefts and rights. Because our children, us included in this, unlike Jesus, are sinners. See, Jesus was without sin. Without sin. So he bade obeyed all of God's law holistically and perfectly. And as we just read a moment ago, this allowed for him to fulfill the God of God's law perfectly. So he loved God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. So every fiber of his mind was used to love and know God. That will not be the case for our children. 
Because they, like us, inherited the sins of their father, Adam. So, therefore, they're sinners. They have a sinful nature, and their first act and their first thought is not going to be holiness or righteousness. It's going to be sinfulness. So we, as parents, have to be full of grace and full of mercy. We have to raise our kids in that discipleship. We must be patient knowing that the gospel growth in their lives is often very, very slow. Very, very slow. We can't expect them to have the spiritual maturity of someone who's been walking with the Lord for decades. Allow for little building blocks. Little progress is still progress, people. Allow for the little wins and celebrate the little wins in your home with your child when they grasp and understand something. We must show them grace, again, because they are sinners and they are going to fail. And when they sin, we extend grace. They can't help it just like you can't help it. And they need grace just like you need grace. Patience and grace with our children are one of the best ways that we're going to reveal to them the heart of God. Because if you're a believer in this room, you need to understand that all of the wrath that was due for your sin has been satisfied in Jesus' life. So therefore, all that's left for you is grace and mercy and patience and grace and mercy and patience and grace and mercy and patience. You can never exhaust that. No matter how many times that you sin and fall and you make mistakes, our Heavenly Father meets us with those things time and time and time again because His wrath for your sin is satisfied. So as your Heavenly Father, He has nothing but love for you. Even when you sin, we have to develop a godly discipline through that with our families. And I think there's an important thing in here that we need to understand as parents. Because this is a sinful nature, a sinful act that I'm even guilty of, of allowing our ego to get wrapped up into our parenting. When we get all bent out of shape because our kids offended us or made us look bad at a restaurant or a store or at a family function, we want to discipline out of that. We can't do that. We discipline our children, not because they offended us, but because their sin offends God. Look past yourself and look to your heavenly Father. God has charged us to train their tiny hearts to love and obey him. This is what godly discipline is for and looks like. I need you to hear me. Again, we have to be patient. Let's, let's kind of move back from the family unit to the church. You know, we have to be patient with one another. <laughs> As the body of Christ, there's a lot of ups and downs and failures and offenses that take place. But guess what? Every single person in this room is broken and is in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus. We have to extend grace to one another through that and mercy to one another through that. Because if you're struggling with a discipline or you're struggling with a, a sin that is in your life, hear me. Be patient. Seek daily to walk with the Lord and seek daily to sit at his feet. And I would encourage you, believer in here, seek someone to do those things with you. 
Guys, seek another godly man. Women, seek another godly woman to teach you these things, to wade into the waters with you. As the family of God, we will not do this alone. We are not called to walk this road alone. We're called to link arms as brothers and sisters and walk this narrow road together. But that means we have to be full of mercy with one another. We have to be full of grace and full of patience. Because Christ died for us, we don't have to be afraid when we fail. Because there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. God isn't angry at you when you sin. He wants to help you overcome and fight that sin. He meets you where you are. We see that in the birth story that we just walked through. He came to us because we couldn't save ourselves. Why do we think that's going to change now and today? As he has ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, meaning that he is praying for you and me at this moment. He is in the trenches with you in your fight to kill sin and walk in holiness. God wants to help you grow in your faith, and he loves you more deeply than you could ever understand. Believer, especially when you sin, you do not have to earn the favor of God. You repent of your sin, and you believe and place your faith in Jesus. It's not this continual thing of, I've got to keep him at my right hand. If I do this again, he's going to abandon me and not love me anymore. That's not how it works. That's not how it works in our own household. I don't abandon my family when something happens and I'm offended. Our heavenly father will not abandon us when we offend him. All the more he opens his arms and asks you to come and pick you up, to hold you close to his chest, to let you know that he loves you more deeply. That he has paid for that struggle. He has paid for that sin. Allow his model on how he loves us be a model to how we love our children. The same Jesus who sat in the temple as a 12-year-old boy is now inviting you, church, to come and sit at his feet. The same Jesus who stepped into a temple and mesmerized rabbis is seeking to mesmerize you in these moments, to call you to fall deeply in love with him. And there is a place to which we can have both of these things. There is a place to where we can go and sit at his feet. There's a place to where we can go and be mesmerized by him. And it is his word, church. I think the question in all of this is, are you in the Bible? Because if we're not in the word of God, we can't expect to grow in our faith. You can read all of the, the books of theology, all of the different things that talk about the Bible. That's great. But if you're not in the word in and of itself, you're missing the point. So I would plead with you, put systematic theology back on the shelf and pick up the word of God. Allow these things, the living, active, breathing word of God to mold you and shape you and dice you and cut you up and heat you up and mold you into the image of his son, Jesus. Church, I'm not trying to push New Year's resolutions or anything like that. This is a daily habit. 
Start today. Be in his word because if we want to grow, which we all should, because whether you're young or whether you're old or somewhere in between, we're called to grow in our knowledge and understanding. We imitate Christ. And we see in the scriptures and what we just read that he grew in wisdom and love and adoration of God. So we should do the same as his people, as his children. And I pray that you all would look full in his face. We have a million and a half different things to cause us to fret, to cause us to worry. But this is the only anchor. This is our only hope. So may you come, behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world through his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we praise you this morning. We thank you for allowing us to come together as your people, as your children, to worship you and honor you. God, I pray that in this time, one, for the children in this room, God, that they would take root and would have had heard something that would intrigue their minds to ask. Father, for the parents in this room, God, I pray that they would be patient, that they would diligently teach their children the things of God. And know that the return here will come over a long period of time. So Heavenly Father, move in this place. Because we can do none of these things without you. We cannot have grace. We cannot have mercy. We cannot have patience without you. You exemplify and lead out and have these characteristics. So Father, we ask that you give those to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We praise you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.